Thank you, Alejandra. I'm going to ask you to join with us as we sing praise together. This is my father's world. Will you please stand as we sing? Let us pray. Father, we look forward and long for that day when earth and heaven will be one because your kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and will bring you glory. In the meantime, help us to be your faithful witnesses here, proclaiming the gospel, revealing your love, and sharing the good news with all that will hear and receive it. Father, we pray for Bible school this week. The children will come with open hearts and and minds and ears and attentive to the the lessons that that have been prepared. And we pray for all of us as adults that we'll model lives that, that will lead them toward you and give them glory. Father, speak to us now in worship and uh, let all that we say and do be pleasing in your sight as a sacrifice of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We'd like to welcome y'all here this morning. We'd especially like to welcome you if you're our guest. And uh, we're going to ask you to do us a favor. We're going to ask all of y'all, if you would, if you have a bulletin, to remove the little flap that's inside. And uh, on that flap, give us a uh, record of your registration of being here. And also, if you have prayer requests, we're going to ask you to put those on that as well. And when we collect those up, we'll ha- we have a team that's uh, uh, praying right now for this worship service. And they'll be sure to pray for your prayer requests. We're going to give you an opportunity now to greet each other. And so what we want you to do, if you're our guest, if you would 
remain seated for just a moment so that we can find you and greet you. And uh, those that are attend here regularly are going to rise up and uh, greet each other and greet you. So Gary's going to lead us in a welcome course. Good morning, boys and girls. How are you? Let me sit right here. Thank you. Thank you for saving me a place. It's so good to see you in God's house this morning. We're here to worship him. How many, what's, who, who knows what's starting tomorrow? Vacation Bible. Vacation Bible School. Are you planning on coming? I am. I am too. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. And your mom is? Well, that's good. We'll, we'll put her to work and, and that'll be good. Have you seen all the tents set up outside? It's going to be like a market, a market street in Jerusalem. So you'll get to see what it'd be like to live back in Jesus' time and, and uh, learn all about that and talk about uh, the folks that walked with him and served him and loved him. And that's what we want to do too. I think Cason Crawford had the Happy Club bag, but he's not here. But he sent the bag and Miss Karen brought it and she wouldn't let me peek in it. Pass that to Miss Karen. There we go. What do you think Cason sent? Let's see what it is. Oh, it's a gourd, and I bet I know where Kaysen made this. Does anybody recognize this? Vacation Bible School. That's right. We make gourds in Vacation Bible School. Miss Karen, are they going to be doing that again? You had the gourds in Bible School last year. We're going to be making them again this year right out in the yard. So Kaysen sent this as a reminder to all of us of the crafts. I wrote my Beacon article. We, we do crafts. We play games. We have snacks. We do all those things, but I know you're excited about the snacks, aren't you? I'm excited about the arts and crafts. Yeah, arts and crafts. But, and, and all that, Lord, all that we're teaching about Jesus, and uh, we're learning that he is our Lord and Savior. You like crafts too? Well, that's good. But in all of Vacation Bible School, the whole purpose is not just to make gourds and not just to eat snacks and not just to play games. The purpose of Bible School is to hear about Jesus and to learn about his love for us. 
So Cason sent this because he's proud. He did a good job on that gourd last year, didn't he? Didn't he? Yes. Look at that. Oh, it's very colorful. So maybe some of you will have an opportunity to make gourds this, this week, and, and uh, boys and girls will have all kinds of crafts, and it'll be so much fun. But the most fun of all will be hearing about how much Jesus loves us and what he did for us. So let's, let's pause right now and let's pray for Vacation Bible School, all right? Let's bow together and you pray after me. Dear God, Dear God thank, you thank you for Bible School, for Bible school. And, help us and help us to open our ears, and open, our hearts and open our hearts to learn about Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, boys and girls. Miss Karen, it's a girl's turn, isn't it? Kaylin, will you take the bag home and bring something special back next week? Thank you, Miss Karen. And y'all can go with uh, Miss Karen to children's worship if you like. And I'll give Kaysen his gourd back.
sharing that with us. Psalm 72, 19 says, May his glorious name be praised forever. Will you stand as we sing, Glorious is thy name.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come into your house this morning to study your word and develop a relationship that is closer to you, we just ask your oversight into our lives that will enable us to, to uh, improve our relationship with you and, and, and have a good life. Lord, thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed on this church, on the facilities that we have and, and the members that we have. And Lord, as we come here today, we just come thanking you and asking you to, to oversee our Bible school this coming week. Lord, all these things we do, we want to improve our relationship with you, and we ask that you, your name and that the things that we do will bring honor and glory to you. Amen.
Thank you, choir. The sermon this morning is entitled, Who's Throwing Stones? John 8, 1 through 11. There's a familiar passage um, where scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus with a woman caught in adultery and ask Jesus what he thinks they ought to do. And it's so often whenever you question Jesus and give him two alternatives, he chooses neither, but instead steps outside the box and uses it as a teaching opportunity to those who thought themselves holy and in a position to judge. John 8, 1 through 11, who's throwing stones? They went each to his own house. This was after a teaching. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. What do you say about her? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Once more he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before and standing before him. And Jesus looked up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. I brought my rock with me this morning. We're going to talk about it. Let's bow together. Father, as we come so judgmental of one another, so easily comparing ourselves to one another in a favorable light, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to realize our sin in your eyes. And help us to receive your grace and mercy and not be so quick to be judgmental of others. In your name we pray. Amen. I know this has happened to every one of you, so I want you to think back on a time when your hand was caught in the cookie jar. Not literally, but you know what I'm talking about. When did your parents or someone specifically tell you not to do something, and you did it anyway, and got caught? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I always got caught when I was growing up. I mean, I, I just expected to get caught, and I never knew how my parents always knew when I was misbehaving until much later I asked them. I asked mom, I said, how did you know when I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing? 
And she said, it was so easy, Wayne. She said, whenever you were up to something, you would tiptoe around and act sneaky. And I always knew you were doing something you weren't supposed to do. If you had just acted normal, I would have been less suspicious. But it never occurred to me to act normal when I was misbehaving because I knew I was doing wrong. And that's the way it is with so many of us. And when our, even when our parents don't catch us, how many times do you think we get away with it in God's eyes? We all sin, and we know one day we're going to answer for it. We know we're going to answer for it, but I, I, I assume we expect in this life to put that judgment day off just as long as possible. And I was reminded of an inmate on death row in prison. He, uh, the warden came and said, what do you want for your last meal? He said, I want a large slice of watermelon. And the warden said, don't you know this is December? The watermelon hasn't even been planted yet, much less harvested. And the inmate said, that's okay, I'll wait. <laughs> we all want to put off judgment as long as we possibly can. But if you've ever wondered what it would be like for God to catch you in the middle of sin, this is what would happen. Most people would picture God um, walking around, maybe with a big stick, just waiting for us to cross the line so he can clobber us. Some people envision God like putting us on a, a spit and, and dangling us in front of a fire, just keeping us terrified all the time. But that's not what God is like. I don't know where these false images, these impressions of God come from. Probably from the media, which has absolutely no clue about what a relationship with God would be like. But if you've ever wondered what it would be like to be caught in sin, this passage is for you today because it tells us exactly what God would do. You don't have to wonder anymore. Because in this passage, there is a sinful woman. Starting out in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Everybody went home except Jesus. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and then, as was his custom, he went to the temple, and he probably read Scripture. And then after reading Scripture, he sat down to teach. That's what rabbis did in that day. They sat down, folks sat around them on the floor, and they taught, and Jesus didn't have a sermon prepared. He just spoke out of the wisdom and love in his heart. And it was words that, that captivated people that were so passionate and so picturesque. A, a parable or anything like that would just draw the audience in. And in the middle of that, he is rudely interrupted by one of the most shameful things that could ever happen to anyone anywhere. Here is a woman who's been caught in adultery. Now, to be an adulterer, she's married, but she's unfaithful. And as I read this, I wondered how many times is someone caught in adultery by a committee? Obviously, this was a setup. Obviously, these scribes and Pharisees either lured this woman into uh, some kind of adulterous affair or relationship, and they were using it not only to catch her, but to entrap Jesus. Well, the woman knew what she had done was wrong. You don't need scribes and Pharisees to tell you that. You don't need a committee to take a vote and tell you that. Our conscience tells us when we are outside of God's will for our lives, we may try to rationalize it. We may try to explain it. We may try to justify it. We may even try to deny it. But we know deep down when our conscience is pricked by the Holy Spirit that what we are doing is wrong. 
And this woman is there, and she's thrown down by the scribes and Pharisees in the midst, it says, of the temple where Jesus was teaching. They brought her into the church, and they threw her down, and they were holding rocks. I don't think they just picked them up there in the temple or the temple yard. I think they brought them with them, and they were ready to do this woman in to make an example of her and to catch Jesus in a trap. Can you imagine anything more embarrassing? They didn't whisper, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. They were shouting, Jesus, this woman, this woman right here was caught in the act of adultery. Now, what do you say we should do about it? To get an idea of what this woman must have been feeling, what if the one who knew everything about you, who knows everything about you, were here this morning and were sharing some of your sins publicly? announcing them for all to hear in the sanctuary this morning. Can you imagine the embarrassment and the shame? You can begin to sense what this woman was feeling. Kneeling there in the midst of those who had come to hear Jesus teach from the scriptures. Well, obviously this woman was a sinner. Well, what about her accusers? What about those who brought her? Obviously to me it was a trap. They brought this woman to Jesus in the midst of this crowd as a setup. Because, as I said, catching her in the act of adultery was not coincidental. It was not an accident. It was something they had planned and prepared for when Jesus had a group of people. They could bring her in in front of that crowd and not only shame her, but hopefully, according to the, in their minds, catch Jesus in a trap. A couple of problems come to mind as I envision this scenario. The first problem that comes to mind is, where's the man? Obviously, adultery requires two people. They bring the woman. Where's the man? Uh, as I was reading this week, I discovered that if you want to divorce a woman in Jesus' day, if you divorced her, you could not keep her estate. But if you wanted to do away with her and hold on to her estate too, you could accuse her of adultery. So maybe that's what the husband had in mind. Maybe he suspected his wife and set a trap for her and sent the scribes and Pharisees to catch her so that he didn't care if, they, if, they, if he divorced her or if they stoned her as long as he was done away, if his hands were free and he got her estate. So as they gathered around, they said, what should we do, Jesus? We want to bring some charge against her. Should we stone her as Moses commands? And if Jesus said, yes, stone her, then everybody there who had come to hear Jesus teach would say, obviously this man is no friend to sinners such as we. But if he said, let her go, the scribes and Pharisees could say, Jesus doesn't obey the law. We told you he didn't. The law says that she must be killed, and we want to stone her. And they were ready to do that. They had the rocks in their hands, ready to kill this woman just to make a point, just to catch Jesus. They think that they can set this whole thing up and trap her and trap Jesus, and they end up losing on both counts. They show up carrying rocks. And in so doing, they indict only themselves. It says Jesus stooped down 
and began writing with his finger on the ground. People have speculated, what in the world was Jesus writing in the dirt? Haven't you wondered that? What was he writing in the dirt when he leaned over? The scribes and Pharisees clamoring for a decision, the woman sobbing, the crowd anxiously awaiting his word. And he leans over and begins writing with his finger in the ground. One suggestion, the word for write here in the Greek is also used in other places to mean to register. To register. So maybe Jesus was logging a register of the sins of the scribes and Pharisees who were standing there. And they saw it written in the ground. Eliezer embezzling temple funds. Rabbi so-and-so mistreating widows and orphans. And going down the list, Jesus looked at the scribes and Pharisees and began writing down the sins that he knew they had that they did not know anyone was aware of. Can you imagine how you would have felt seeing your sin written in the dirt in front of everybody? Maybe that's what he was writing. And Jesus said, After writing that, he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Because to be the judge of someone, you have to be without sin. Because to be the moral judge of someone, you have to be sinless. Otherwise, your own sin will cloud your moral judgment. You aren't wise enough. God's punishment and God's mercy can only be carried out by a sinless agent. Let me say that again. God's judgment and mercy can only be carried out by a sinless agent because if you have sin in your life, then your judgment is clouded. You you are predisposed to judging in one way or the other. Only a sinless agent can carry out God's judgment and mercy. But we underestimate our sin, and we overestimate our goodness. I see that so often. A study, a 12-year study was done in California uh, in in the prison system of 200 hardened criminals. A 12-year study, 200 hardened criminals in California. The funny thing is that they all said they were basically good people. None of them said they were evil. 200 hardened criminals said they were basically good people. Why is that? Because we overestimate our goodness and we underestimate our sin. An interesting thing here, Jesus did not say, let him who is was, who was without adultery cast the first stone. Why didn't he say that? Because to God, a sin is a sin. Some religions will grade sin and say, this is a mortal sin, this is a venial sin, this is a serious sin, this is a not so serious sin. The Bible says sin is sin. The Bible says a lie is a sin and adultery is a sin. And they are both abhorrent and disgusting and evil in God's sight. You see, God's standard is perfection. God's standard is not the person sitting beside you whom you may or may not be better than. God's standard is the perfect model of Jesus. 
And if there's a ravine before you and it's 100 feet wide, it doesn't really matter if you jump 5 feet or 95 feet. The end result is going to be the same. You're going to fall to your death. So don't grade sin. No matter how good you are, you're never good enough to deserve salvation. And so it says, let him who is without sin, not adultery, but without sin in general, be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Wow. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the eldest. I wonder why it was the eldest who left first. Maybe he was the instigator of the whole nasty affair. Maybe since he was the oldest, he had sinned the most. And, he, and uh, so he was the first to leave. But I tend to believe that because he was the oldest, maybe he was also the wisest. And he knew that he was a sinner and unworthy to cast a stone at the woman. Now the tables are turned. They bring a woman thinking that Jesus will say something and either alienate the crowd or alienate those who follow the law. And instead the tables are turned and they are exposed and are the ones leaving in shame. Jesus comes up and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Well, you can't have a trial without a prosecutor. You can't have a trial without a jury. And they had all left. And between the woman and Jesus, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. The God who is the only one worthy to condemn you, the God who is the only one worthy to save you or or judge you, is passionate to save you. His desire is not to throw a stone at you. His desire is not to clobber you with a big stick. His desire is to forgive you and save you and rescue you. And yet we insist on running from him. We think we can be good enough without him, that we don't need him. And so we try to outrun him. Several years ago, a car was stolen in California, and it made national news, not because a car was stolen, because cars are stolen every couple minutes. But this made the national news because on the front seat of this stolen car was a bag of crackers that the owner had laced with rat poison. He had rats on his farm, and he had gotten these crackers and put rat poison in the crackers, and he was going to take them to his farm to kill the rats, but instead his car gets stolen, and the thief is running not knowing that there's rat poison on the front seat, he is running, afraid of getting caught, afraid of punishment. Here are police all in the United States trying to find him in order to save him. It's the same way with us. God is after us, not to accuse us, not to punish us, not to throw stones at us, but to save us because that's how much He loves us. You know, sometimes we say, if I ever get my hands on that person, I'll tear them limb from limb. 
in anger. Here's an example of what happens if God can get his hands on us. He doesn't want to tear us limb from limb. He is passionate to save us. He is passionate to redeem us. His desire is to be in a relationship with us because Jesus died on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. He, he saved us by dying for us in that moment. And the God who has a perfect right to throw stones at us is the, and the only one who can throw stones at us desires our salvation. He doesn't condone our sin. He says, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. So those who don't make it to heaven will not be left out because God has turned his back on them. Those who don't make it to heaven will be left out because they have chosen to turn their back on God. And he gives us that freedom. A businessman in a certain town found out that an elderly widow was about to be evicted from her apartment, unable to pay rent. And so he got several businessmen in town and they gathered up a a little collection and it was enough to pay a couple months rent. And he went to her apartment, knocked on the door to give it to her. He knocked and knocked and knocked and no one came. He knocked some more and no one came. And so a couple weeks later, He saw her on the street, and obviously she was homeless and destitute. And he said, I came to your apartment several weeks ago and knocked on the door to to give you some money so you could pay your rent. She said, oh, my goodness. She said, I thought you were the landlord coming to evict me. Friends, God is knocking on the door of our hearts right now, not to punish us, but to save us. Because that is his heart. That is his desire. That's what this passage about judgment is all all about. You and I are so busy judging each other. Why? Because we think it makes us look better. But the truth is we're all sinners in God's sight. So drop the stones you've been carrying. And let God be the judge. And hear him say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the heart of God fully revealed in Scripture for us sinners today. Let's bow together. God, I can almost hear the thud of the rocks hitting the ground that day when those who thought themselves holier and more righteous than others dropped them and walked away. Their sin having been exposed, coming, willing to sacrifice a woman to make a point, hoping to entrap Jesus, either not loving sinners or not loving the law, And instead, Jesus turned it around as he always does and revealed those questioners, those accusers, exposed them as being sinners too. Judgment and mercy can only be meted out by a 
sinless agent. None of whom are here this morning sitting in a pew. But we acknowledge Jesus in our midst. And instead of throwing stones, he's saying, I don't condemn you. I love you. Go and sin no more. Be forgiven and cleansed and come into a relationship with the Holy Father. God, we confess our sins to you this day. I am the chief of sinners standing before you. And yet you have forgiven me and all who will call upon your name and confess and believe and follow. If there's anyone here today who needs to do that sound of my voice in this sanctuary or watching by television, Father, give them these words. Oh God, I am a sinner. I confess my sin to you and I acknowledge my sin in your presence. Please forgive me and cleanse me. Lord, I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you and serve you all the rest of my life and be with you forever in heaven. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer, for forgiving me and saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you have a decision to make public, if you have invited Jesus into your heart previously and have never shared it corporately, please do so today. Now is your opportunity. If you need to rededicate your life, if you'd like to join this church, please do so now. I'll be at the front as you come.